Hi, it's Jamie. And I'm Portia. And we are Just Two Pearls. Join us for Adventures in Pearls. Hello, Pearls. Welcome to Black Beauty Part 2. And we're going to start off with a reflection from Toni Morrison's book, The Bluest Eye. The breed loves did not live in a storefront because they were having temporary difficulty adjusting to the cut buffs at the plant. They lived there because they were poor and black, and they stayed there because they believed they were ugly. Although their poverty was traditional and stultifying, it was not unique, but their ugliness was unique. No one could have convinced them that they were not relentlessly and aggressively ugly. Except for the father, Charlie, whose ugliness, the result of despair, dissipation, and violence directed toward petty things and weak people, was behavior. The rest of the family, Mrs. Breedlove, Sammy Breedlove, and Pecola Breedlove, wore their ugliness, put it on, so to speak, although it did not belong to them. Thus ends the reading. All right, all right, all right. We gotta love Toni Morrison and just the gift that she is. Toni Morrison is the gift that keeps on giving, y'all. If y'all have not read Toni Morrison, then you are missing out on life. I don't know how you got this far without reading Toni Morrison. So if you haven't, I'd say as summer's getting ready to approach and we're getting ready for summer and um, get your summer reading list together, put Toni Morrison on the list. All right, Saint? Hook that up. All righty. So, Jamie. I've got an adventure for us on today as we're going to talk about bodies. We're talking about bodies today. And what other body can I talk about than the body of Jesus Christ? So on April 1st, we celebrated um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, also known as Easter, uh, Resurrection Sunday. And on that day, I had an awesome, awesome, awesome opportunity to go see Jesus Christ Superstar. And so one of my sister's friends, her name is Melody, she was actually in the show, and she was on, on the television. So, you know, I watched it back, and I saw her homegirl was getting it, okay? So I had an opportunity to go with one of my sister's friends who um, is friends with Melody who was in the show. And so Danielle and I went to the show, and it was a great time. And we actually happened to be in the middle of Brooklyn at the Armory, which is in, in the heart of a Hasidic Jewish community on Easter Sunday. So isn't that kind of, you know, interesting in itself? But anyway, so it's just so fascinating to me to see what the world saw, which was the televised broadcast, and then to see what I saw. And those people were going so hard on all of the numbers, and they were dancing, and they really put on a show. The music was amazing. It was fantastic. And, you know, I know there were some mixed reviews, and people were like, oh, I liked it. Some people were like, oh, I didn't really care for it. But guess what? If you were in the room like I was, you would have had a great time. It was like a big old party, and it also made you feel so many emotions. So John Legend was in it. Um, who else was in it? Uh, Sarah Bareilles was in it and uh, Brandon Dixon was in it. And so it was so good, and I recommend if you have not seen it, it's on Hulu, probably for a limited time, so you might want to hurry up and get around to it, or on the NBC app. But it was so great, Jesus Christ Superstar Live. And it was this one part, and this is not a spoiler alert, because we all know what happens to Jesus in the, in the passion story, right? Jesus dies. But it was in the way that they did it, right? And so just watching John Legend, who was Jesus, 
you know, this black Jesus, y'all, and Judas was a black man. So watching these black men portray Jesus and Judas, right, on Easter Sunday in the middle of a Hasidic Jewish community, to see these black men being Jesus and Jews was amazing for me to see, to watch these black bodies. But I got a little emotional watching um, John Legend get whipped, right, watching the whipping of Jesus' black body being ripped and whipped and being bloodied and just, you know, it just, it's kind of triggering a little bit because I think about the harm that has been done to black bodies throughout history and to see Jesus depicted as a black man, because I believe Jesus is a black man anyway, but to see Jesus' body be bruised and battered and to be literally enchained and to be whipped, it just brings on a whole nother, um, a whole nother level of like, wow. And then to see him be put on the cross and then to be raised up and thinking about those bodies that have been lynched and those bodies that were bruised and harmed. And it's just like, wow. And just to see that. And there was not a dry eye in the room. So not even so much, quote, unquote, the sacrifice of Jesus as much as it was about me witnessing and experiencing and those emotions of just thinking about black bodies that have been abused um, and just the love and the appreciation that we should have for black people and the black bodies. And so, um, and just loving on black bodies. And to see um, this cast of just different bodies, it was just amazing to me. And so it was a great production. They did a fantastic job. Like I said, if you haven't seen it, get around, watch it, um, enjoy it. You know, get yourself some popcorn, crunch on it. Yeah, so I think that's interesting for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, because... As you've said, John Legend, probably in terms of recent popular depictions of Jesus, probably one of the closest renderings that we can probably actually get to the physicality of Jesus. So I think that's really interesting um, that I'm not sure I can think of another production in recent history where we have seen a black man playing Jesus, um, you know, if that was super popular and being watched by millions of people. Second, I think that's interesting just because um, I was on Instagram before the show aired and I follow John Legend and, you know, he does a lot of work around mass incarceration, um, the carceral body, the carceral state. And so he was writing about his um, depiction of Jesus that was about to happen in those terms. And so it definitely, at least for him and I think for us as well, it should have um, political meaning. And I think sometimes when we think about the Easter story, um, especially in, I, I don't know, I mean, I think this is happening across racial lines and church communities. We've started to think of um, the crucifixion story as something that's like super apolitical. It just has like, oh, theologically, oh, Jesus got up. And maybe we think about it like socially, like, oh, you know, whatever's dead in your life, it can be resurrected. That is not the end. But it's like, no, at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, um, the Roman state, um, the Jewish community the, um, and the, the chief priests were politically against Jesus. The crucifixion story is political from start to finish, right? He gets like an unjust trial. He gets um, this extreme brutality by the Roman police. He has his own um, religious community turning their back on him. Like this is a story that cannot be disconnected from political realities. And so I also thought it was interesting for John Legend to play that character in light of his um, political commitment. And then also, yeah, it is really interesting that you are in a 
you know, Hasidic Jewish community in New York um, on the day of this production. I think that's really uh, that's fascinating. Um, another thing that I think is really fascinating is I always get fascinated that Americans love going to church on Easter, even if they, like, are not into going to church on the regular. And I always find that to be really interesting because I'm like, Easter is probably one of the more – like, you really have to suspend your disbelief on Easter. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, okay, so he crucified and, like, brutally, like, just brutally killed this guy on Friday. And then you're going to come to church on Easter, which is, like, all a story about, like, literally the completely miraculous, the improbable, the impossible, really, um, happening, and we celebrate that. And so I just find... Americans' constant return to this story every year. I'm like, okay, so what is it um, that we are trying to get out of this story? I think, you know, as a person of, of faith who's consistently in church, I'm like, I know what I get out of the story every year. But I wonder, with the general American public who are, you know, kind of Christmas and Easter Christians, I wonder what keeps bringing them to church for this story. Like Christmas, I'm like, okay, Christmas, I get that. We love babies being born. We love it that this is a story for everybody, you know, Kids can, like, pretend to be sheep for a day. Like, all of that. Like, I get that. Easter is so much more of a difficult holiday for me to get my head around why people um, who don't consider themselves to be every day or even once a month going to church people, um, what keeps bringing us back to this story? So I was really glad that Jesus Christ Superstar was airing um, on Easter Sunday, and I'm super glad that you got to go see it. And thank you for sharing your experience with us. Yeah, for sure. And so since we're talking about bodies on today, y'all, Jamie wrote a book, and we've mentioned this before, but guess what? Now we're going to go a little bit deeper about, on Jamie's book. So Jamie wrote a text actually during Lent last year, but it was released in the late, like late summer last year, right? So around her, actually on her birthday, so it was July. Um, her birthday, it came out, and the text is called Her Body Bears the Word. Now, if you have not read her book, I'm going to say go order the book. It is available on West Bow Press. It's also available um, online, and I'm pretty sure it's on Amazon too because I think that's how I got my digital copy was on Amazon. So you can order it. Get yourself this book. It's a great teaching tool. It's a good devotional tool, and I think everyone needs to have it. So if you don't have it, you need to go right now. You know, what are you waiting for? Go do it. <laughs> and go click and go find Jamie's. Jamie Crumley, Jamie D. Crumley. Don't act like I didn't tell you her name now, okay? Co-host of Just Two Pearls. Her body bears the word, okay? So we're going to have a conversation with Jamie on today So about this text. And so, Jamie, why did you write this book? Okay, so this story actually relates a lot to Portia, so I'm very excited to talk to you about this with Portia because, uh, you know, I had book signings and was able to talk to various other people, but I'm excited now to be in conversation with you about this book because really what inspired me to write this book is that um, Reverend Shelley, who we have had on this podcast in the past, I think we had her on the podcast um, in the fall, and who really helped us get this podcast together, um, invited us when this podcast first launched uh, to a class that she was doing at Hartford Seminary. Of course, you might remember that. And she was meeting with various women who were mostly women of color who were very passionate about getting into ministry. And so she wanted to bring in a panel of 
um, black Christian women who are ministers, and she wanted us to talk to them about our ministry journeys. And so Portia and I were on the panel um, representing kind of the millennial voice and also, of course, our podcast, Just Two Pearls, and then there were two other uh, women in ministry who were on the panel. And so it was maybe like the middle of Advent when we went to go do that panel, and so we were asking um, – so, of course, Reverend Shelley had asked us to come, and um, I was trying to figure out the night before, like, what in the world am I going to say to these women? And I had had, I talk about it really briefly in, I think, probably the last chapter of the book, uh, I had had a really, really challenging week in ministry. And so when I had done chaplaincy work, I was kind of okay with people kind of um, being a little bit testy with me from time to time because, you know, hospitals, schools, uh, they're not necessarily there to do the work of ministry. It just so happens that they bring in people to do the work of ministry. Um, but my issue is, and I'm sure, Portia, you can probably relate to this on some level, being in professional church ministry. My issue when I'm serving in churches is, well, we should do things that are focused on ministry, right? And, like, I agree that we need to be concerned about finances and building management and all of that sort of thing. But, like, our primary goal is, ministry. And I feel that way, especially in liturgical seasons like Advent and Lent, which are really the only kind of two seasons that Baptists pay close attention to. And I did not feel that same energy from the rest of the staff. I definitely did not feel that same energy from the congregation. It was a really like challenge for me because I was butting heads with people about things that I was like, all I'm trying to do here is ministry. And you're concerned about uh, building management and economics and to me, that's not the most important thing. And that's not why you call a minister to your church. You call a minister to your church to do the work of ministry. So you all can go away from me and deal with those issues, but that's not going to be the way that I control my, my ministry based on who else needs to use this room on Saturday morning. That's not going to be my concern, especially in a building of a size where you can find some other room for people to sit in. Nevertheless, I was really stressed out. It was, you know, mid-December. So that means I was applying for PhD programs. I'm trying to get through this, you know, big liturgical season at the church. And Reverend Shelley had invited us to do this panel. And I wanted to be able to say something positive. <laughs> so the night before the panel, um, I was super stressed out. I had gone to see my friend Paulette. Um, so I had done quite a bit of driving that day. Um, I get home. It's, you know, you know, maybe 8 in the evening. And the verse that keeps coming up in my mind over and over and over is, for nothing will be impossible with God. If so I had to run down stairs and get my Bible, and that comes kind of right at the beginning of this Christmas story, right, where the angel comes to uh, Mary and tells her that she is going to be with child. And Mary says, well, how can this be? I'm still a virgin. And the angel tells her, nothing will be impossible with God. You know, I thought back to this time when I was 14 years old, and I was asked to play Mary in the church play. And so they, you know, made me look pregnant and, you know, all that jazz. And I hated it. Um, <laughs> but there was a church choir director who told me, like, I think actually you're a lot like Mary. And so I was thinking about the kind of work that women's bodies do, and especially the work that women who are in ministry that our bodies do. Um, we're often told that we can't be called to ministry. People question our call at every turn. Um, we run into male and female we run into challenges in ministry where, you know, sometimes we're in churches 
where for whatever reason, and sometimes for good reasons, they're not as focused on the work of ministry, but it's our job to steer them back to ministry. And I think about the kind of physical, emotional, and spiritual toll that that takes on people who are in ministry. And so I kind of wanted to make sense of what it means for, especially uniquely for women's bodies, to bring the word of God into the world, right? Because that's literally physically what Mary ends up doing, right? And that's because nothing will be impossible with God. And when I think about my own call, when I think about the work that my body does, um, especially the kind of labor that we do with black women in ministry, outside of ministry, um, I just, that's constantly what's been replaying in my mind over the past year and a half. Um, Whenever I've kind of wondered, like, why God, what's going on, how is this going to work out, um, the constant refrain that I've been hearing in my mind is nothing will be impossible with God. So that was kind of the central, like, verse that then compelled this larger book. And um, kind of when I was able to share that story the next day when we went to that panel with Reverend Shelley and kind of the, you know, positive feedback that I got on that, you know, kind of on that reflection that I had had. Yeah, and from there I started writing. You know, I needed to kind of focus on something other than being stressed and anxious and, you know, what about the THD program? What about what the church people are doing? I was like, you know what? Like, let me put my energy into bearing the word. <laughs> so that's what I did. Awesome sauce. Yeah. I think that, that you sharing your journey of, like, why did you decide to write it is something that's so important, like, that you were in a space and you just felt the need and this pull to kind of, like, just do something different and to kind of, like, get it, literally get it out of your soul, right? And so I appreciate that. And so as we continue to talk about um, the body and bearing the word, I also remember back to that conversation when you specifically said um, about Mary was literally carrying the word, right? right? So if Jesus is the word of God incarnate and, like, that Mary is literally bearing the word and how you kind of, like, phrase that, like, how you and women, we are literally called to physically bear the gospel inside of us. I was like, wow. I was like, that was so deep. So I, rem- I distinctly remember, like, you saying that. Um, it's like, what does that mean, you know, in terms of us as women in ministry? So I think that was powerful. So what's your body love journey, Jamie? And what is body love? Yes, thank you for asking me that question, because I think that's probably the most important question that I had to deal with uh, while I was writing this book. So anyway, so I'm going to point you all to, it looks like it's still the introduction of my book, but I asked on page um, 11 in in the introduction section, what is body love and why does it matter? And I talk about the fact that I am seen in the world, especially in the black community, as this skinny girl, right? And that's been part of my um, health journey and my body journey. Um, But I really consider body love to be just all about finding a way to have gratitude for our bodies. And I relate this to just kind of the larger ethic of Christian love um, that I hold. Um, you know, we're, there's this transforming love of God that we're supposed to have um, toward ourselves, toward others, and toward the world. And one of the challenges that I have as a woman, and I think especially as a black woman, is, um, you know, the first and greatest commandment, right? Like, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so I've really wrestled with that, um, that second part, right? Like, loving God is easy, like, I mean, God is dope, right? Like, there's, <laughs> that's easy for me. 
Um, the challenge is I was like, why do I sometimes really struggle um, with compassion toward others? And I've had to realize on my own journey, part of the reason why I struggle with having that love and compassion towards others that I'm called to have is because I'm having trouble with the self-love. And I think a lot of women can relate to that. I think a lot of women of color can definitely relate to that. Um, and it goes back to this idea of the way that we feel about our bodies, the way that we feel about, you know, our imperfections, our less than, our not good enough. And it makes it sometimes difficult for us to have self-love. For me, all is starting from a place of finally learning to have gratitude for what God has given me, understanding that it's not perfect, but I don't have to be perfect in order to be lovable. And I think that's something that I've I have to come to terms with almost every day, right? As a person who's a very type A personality, I'm a perfectionist, um, I have to come to terms every day with, like, no, I'm not perfect. And that doesn't mean that I'm not lovable. And so that's kind of my starting point, learning to embrace my imperfections and know that I'm lovable with them and I can be grateful for what God has given me even though I don't always find it to be perfect. Mm. My, my, my. And so... I think that is something that's so important to think about, right, in terms of just women, particularly as as I think about black women, but I think all women, you know, we kind of struggle with loving our bodies. And I I agree, like, it starts with love of self. And I think that we struggle with that. Um, And I wonder why, like, and I think part of it may have to do with, like, society, <laughs> what society projects to us, like when we open up magazines or when we open up um, social media, and especially in the age of Instagram, right? And it makes it so much more harder for people to feel secure or self or just to love themselves. And so I think it's important that you have a text that people can refer to and can use devotionally as a space to just journey back to who God has created them to be and to just love who they are. Um, Also, Jamie, we know that you are really, 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 really big on, like, self-care and exercise and just taking care of your physical body. So not just, like, emotionally being connected to your body, but just the actual physical connection of your body, like the caring of the temple, right? And so um, I know that you're a runner, um, you talk about sometimes that how you run, and I know that you get up early in the morning to do, you know, like a mile or actually you do more than a mile, <laughs> but you're like a distance runner, right? And so can you talk about, like, some of the things that you do to keep, to literally keep your body healthy um, and the self-love that goes into caring physically for your body, whether that be your exercise or your food or whether the amount of sleep, like what kinds of things should we take into consideration for caring for our body and what are the things that you actually do for the care of your body? So I talk about food and actually in the very first chapter of the book, um, which is about Eve. And I think, I think Eve gets a really, 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 really bad rap for a, a, re, a, a reason that's reasonable. Sorry, that was a weird sentence. But, like, I'm always like, really, y'all? Really? Like, we want to, like, say, like, humanity fell because, like, this woman ate this fruit. Like, it's just, it's just very problematic to me. And so in the book, I kind of talk about Eve as the first theologian, really. She's the first one to really have this sustained first humans, I really have this sustained conversation about God. 
the issue is that, of course, she goes about it the wrong way, right? She, um, she doesn't involve God in the conversation, right? Like, God is there the entire time. Like, God is willing to, like, chill with Adam and Eve anytime. But she doesn't invite God into the conversation. Instead, she has a conversation with a snake about who God is, right? And we, we fall into that trap, I think, all the time where we're doing bad theology because we don't put God at the center of the theology. Um, part of the issue also is Eve's curiosity, right? And I think she's genuinely, like, curious. Like, okay, what will happen if I go to this other tree and eat this fruit, right? And so to me, that also brings up questions of, like, how we're eating and what we're eating and what do we need to eat to be in good relationship with God. That's the question between you and God, right? Like, so we see um, Peter, after Jesus is resurrected, having this whole experience where, you know, like, for Jewish folks, like, up until that point, they were very, very conscientious about what they ate, about this, like, you know, particular diet that was considered to be the only one that was appropriate based on their faith. And, um, you know, we kind of learn as scripture continues, like, there's no food that you're putting into your body that is impure. There's nothing that goes in. Like, it's all about what's inside of you, right? What it is that you are putting out into the world. And so, like I said, I think that relationship with food is between you and God and maybe your doctor if you have any health concerns. And so for me, that journey has been to be a pescatarian. I'm a vegetarian most days. Um, and that's just what works for me. It doesn't work for everyone. So like I said, that's a conversation between you and, like I said, keep God at the center of that conversation. And then, of course, any medical professionals that you work with. So that's my kind of food tip. And then in terms of other body things, I think in terms of physical health and exercise, it's, again, you need to figure out what works for you. And, like, right now I'm in um, a gender study PhD program. Um, but one thing I've been learning a lot more about is disability studies. And so in terms of saying, like, oh, well, for me, running works. Like, I know that works because, you know, this is another body gratitude thing. Like, I happen to have, like, legs that have been naturally strong my entire life, and they're, like, good for running. Like, that just happens to be something that works for me. But I feel like that's a little bit ableist. Like, that just happens to be a gift that God gave me. So, like, each one of us needs to figure out what things work for us. For some people, just, you know, based on their their body and what their body needs, that means yoga. For other people, it means Pilates. For other people, it means, you know, walking. For some people, it's more, you know, contact sports. Either way, I would try to figure out, again, this is a conversation between you and God and your doctor, what are the exercises that work for you? Because I do think God sees fit to use our bodies for good. So it's important for us to figure out some way to keep our bodies healthy. But that's going to be different for every person. So yeah, Portia's right. Like I love to go for distance runs. I like to lift weights. I love doing, you know, some Pilates. Like I love all of that. I want to get into kickboxing. But that's what works for me, and it doesn't work for everyone. So kind of figure out what works for you. And then finally, I would say, um, and this has happened for me naturally as I've gotten older. You know, in college, I could do all-nighters and that sort of thing. And naturally, as I've gotten older, I'm like, no, I should sleep. I would say, you know, and I do talk about this as well in the book, I was always really concerned. I felt like I had to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders. So, like, I became more comfortable as I got later into my 20s with sleeping. Um, But definitely not with things like taking a nap if I needed one. And I was really, really sick one day, and I think this was while I was writing this book. And so it was, like, 3 in the afternoon, and I, like, laid down, and I took a nap. 
and I woke up and like the world was fried. <laughs> so it's one of these things where it's like God is God and I am not. So yes, I do think that we all need to put a lot of effort into working hard, whatever that looks like for us, you know, putting effort into whatever the work of our hands is that God has given us. Um, but also realize, like, if you need to take time to rest, if in the middle of your workday you need to, like, take a break and go for, like, a quick walk around just to get a little bit of energy um, or, you know, let's go grab a cup of water or a cup of tea or coffee, whatever it is that you do, like, give your body sufficient time to rest. You cannot go 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You just cannot do it. Even with eight hours sleep sometimes, you need additional breaks. Like, be generous to yourself. Be kind to yourself. If you need a break, take a break. Like, God, you know, that's part of the creation story, that God rests on the seventh day. So why do you think you need to be hard at work 24 hours, seven days a week? You don't. Like, so just be generous and kind to your body. Yeah, I think being generous and kind to your body is something that is necessary. So I thought about how I used to get massages, right? I loved going to get massages. I have not had a massage in, like, since I moved from Connecticut. Um, And so it's been almost seven months since I've not had a massage. And I miss that. And it's good to be good to your body. And so everyone needs the ways of de-stressing. Everyone needs ways of allowing their body to kind of take some kind of rest. And so I know massages are expensive, and everybody can't afford um, necessarily to do that. Um, And I also know that there are different ways that we can get care for our body. And I think that you mentioning sleep, sleep is something that's so practical. Um, literally, studies say a 20-minute nap can do people a world of good. Literally, just taking 20 minutes to just catch a nap, to catch a Z, um, can literally refresh your body for just for more. Um, and just knowing your patterns, knowing what works for you and what doesn't work for you is important. And so, Jamie, I really am grateful and I appreciate, you know, all of the goodness that you have shared um, in your text and just, and just about body theology in general. And if I have one more question um, for you, what is, what is your absolute favorite part of the book. I know that's kind of hard to say because, like, you know, everything was your favorite, right? Because that's why it got published, right? And that's why you put it all in there. But what for you is the part that is, like, I I live by this. I swear by this. So what, like, favorite part, golden pearl of wisdom would you say from the text that's, like, this is something that you really, truly believe and something that you really, truly hold on to? Oh, well, that's actually easy. I'm going to, like, just say – probably chapters four and five in general, um, just because that's the part of the book where I turn from so much of a focus on women who literally have children to all of the ways that women do this kind of reproductive and maternal work with their bodies, with their intellect, with their spirits, without ever bearing children. And I think that's first of all, really important to recognize. I think sometimes we have defined start of life for women in these ways that are very, like, heteronormative. Like, okay, so she gets married to a man, and then she and that man go and have babies. Like, no, that's not the start of a woman's life. And there's so much more important work that women do in the world. Not, I, I'm not trying to say more important, like, 
there's things that are more important than being a mother. What I'm saying is that there are other important things that women do in the world other than, like, physically giving birth to children. That's what I'm trying to say. So I really especially like the chapter on Anna, and I don't think that Anna gets enough play. Um, you know, she's there with Simeon, so usually sometimes the week after Christmas, for example, you might hear a sermon that comes uh, maybe, like, from the Gospel of Luke. You know, Simeon is there in the temple with um, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, and he sees them, and, you know, he's been waiting all these years for the consolation of Israel. He can't wait until it comes. But it's interesting because the first person in the New Testament who's called a prophet is Anna in Luke 2 um, because she was also there in the temple on that exact same day. She's been waiting um, for the coming of Christ. And she reminds me of all those church mothers. She reminds me of even younger women in the church who, you know, might not have children and families or might have children and families who have long grown up, um, but they're always there. They're consistently doing the work. Um, they're waiting. They're praying, right? And I think for me, that's the most important thing. As a person who struggles a lot with patience and waiting, like I think those are two of the biggest issues in my life, I just adore Anna. So I would say just that chapter on Anna and the way that she was able to endure, that she was able to wait. Um, that she is just doing such important work with her body, and it's not the work of bearing children, but it's equally important work. Um, and it just reminds me to, you know, take time just to spend time with God to, you know, realize that prayers aren't answered the very next day, and sometimes I have to wait, and to realize that it's my job um, just as a woman of faith um, to remember to take the time to pray for my community and pray for my world and know things might not change tomorrow, things might not change next week, things might not change next year, things might not change in my lifetime, but I have faith that with God, all things are possible. Amen. Amen. Well, Jamie, this was dope. This was super lit, y'all. If y'all have not gotten Jamie's book, go get Jamie's book, like right now. But before we wrap up, you know, we got to be petty because that's who we mm-hmm. are. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that's not all of who we are, but that's who we are right now. So in this moment, the petty pearl belongs to Jamie. And so, Jamie, what you got that's petty for us today? Well, so last time we um, had a Black Beauty episode, Portia was talking about how it is petty to give unsolicited advice about other people's hair. And I think that's so true, like mind your hair. And so today, maybe I'll just kind of riff on that and just say, mind your body. I think there's, you know, part of the reason why, um, you know, on Instagram, and this book is also part of a response to a growing community on social media that focuses a lot on body love. And part of the reason why those accounts that focus so much on body love are necessary is because y'all don't mind your own bodies. So y'all see a plus-size woman and y'all just decide what her doctor must be saying about her health. And, you know, Portia mentioned in our last episode, long hair does not necessarily mean healthy hair. In the same way, I would say a skinny body does not necessarily mean a healthy body. Mind your body. Learn how to love your own body. Learn how to cherish your own body because that is enough work without going around telling other people whether or not they are healthy, which is really none of your business. So figure out a way to just focus on loving yourself loving your body, loving the beauty that is within you, seeking out that beauty, and prayerfully ye shall find. 
So, like, stop looking for the imperfections and the unhealthiness and the problems in other people's body. Like, mind your business, please. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Just2Pearls. And you can email us at adventures at just2pearls.com. And remember, cultivate the pearl within you.